This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stunevec. We're here every day bringing you the latest news from the worlds of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Business Week reporters and editors. Not to mention our 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Bloomberg Radio. Or watch us on YouTube. Search Bloomberg Global News. So a lot of headlines uh, out about the virus again, Tim, today. We've got the U.S. may recommend wearing two masks to battle more contagious variants of the virus. That's according to Dr. Fauci, Anthony Fauci. You've got more countries in Europe reporting evidence that the spread of the U.K. variant is increasing, which could lead to prolonged restrictions. Uh, But we did talk about some better news yesterday with deaths starting to drop across the U.S. Yeah, we did. And and look, I think what's exciting to see, and I, maybe exciting isn't really the right term, but we sort of got this slew of good news, right? More mm-hmm. development when it comes to a new vaccine and new data about vaccine. Uh, but at the same time, everywhere you look in the United States, we are starting to see us get over that latest hump. It's something that I've been eager to talk to Dr. Dave Wessner about. He's a professor of biology at Davidson College and joins us right now on the phone from Davidson, North Carolina. Uh, Professor, it's really great to have you on the show. Um, Where are we right now in this pandemic? Well, thanks for having me. It's nice to to be back again. Yeah, yeah, I I think we're we're in in a hopeful position. Yeah, I think there's definitely light at the end of the tunnel now. Um, yeah, I don't think the tunnel is necessarily as short as people might hope it is, would be. Um, but, but I think with the, with the news, with the various vaccines that are coming out, um, yeah, I think there is hope for us. Okay. Having said that, let's just jump right into the variant and the variants that keep coming out, right? We've got UK, we've got Brazil, we've got South Africa. And I do wonder if there is a tipping point in terms of how many and by a certain date in terms of getting the COVID vaccine out before these variants start to infect too many of the global population. You know, what do we need to kind of know about that and think about that, especially if we're hoping to reopen our economy sooner rather than later? Yeah, I think a couple things. I think the appearance of these variants is not at all a surprise. This is nothing unusual. Viruses mutate a lot. They throw out these variants. The real concern for researchers and clinicians are, um, do these variants behave differently in some troubling way? Are they more easily transmissible? Do they cause worse disease? Um, Are they resistant to immunity, vaccine-induced immunity or, or natural immunity? So um, to your question, I think the, the UK variant B117 is pretty widespread. Yeah, I, I don't think we're, you know, we're not putting the genie back in the bottle with, with hmm. a lot of these. Um, it appears, though, that the vaccines that we do have, the Moderna vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine, are, are probably pretty effective against these new variants as well. All of them? Brazil, South Africa as well? I mean, I mean there, there's different data on, on different ones, but... Um, um, Generally, yes. I mean, I think um, researchers from Pfizer reported just on, on Friday right. that neutralization of the B117, the UK variant, um, was pretty much the same as the, the quote, wild type virus with their vaccine. It was slightly reduced, but not in any meaningful way. Uh, the South African variant um, seems to be a little bit more resistant to the vaccine, but not to a degree that it's, you know, we're not going to say the vaccines are ineffective with that with that variant. I mean, they're less effective, but not necessarily less effective uh, in a really concerning way. 
Dave, it was surprising for me to hear you say that you do believe the variant found in the UK is likely widespread here. And the only reason it's surprising to me is because what we saw happen in London uh, about a month ago uh, in in the wider part of the United Kingdom a month ago uh, doesn't seem to be happening, at least right now here in the United States. And I'm talking, you know, hospitals overcrowded and, and more and more cases. Excuse me. The cases have started to go down a little bit in, in most places in the United States. They were going up pretty rapidly until recently. Um, and that may have been a result of the holidays and a, a spike in cases from, from family gatherings. You know, one thing that we're not doing as much in the United States as in the UK is this genomic sequencing of viruses. Mm. And so with the limited amount of sequencing we are doing, we've seen this variant in various places. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we did more sequencing. We see it. Um, we see a higher prevalence of that variant here. Right. So I guess the question, I guess Tim and I are trying to get our heads around as we talk to various folks in the medical community and certainly the pharmaceutical industry is, you know, should we? There was, I guess, a lot of talk about it's going to be another tough February, March, in that we were going to get another third wave. I don't even know. I've lost count because of these because of the variants specifically. And do you anticipate that? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's a very real possibility. I, I think one of the fears that I have is that people will say, "Oh, we have vaccines out there. People are starting to get shot." I can sort of let off the gas. I can start start relaxing in my. Uh, my personal mitigation efforts, wearing masks, socially distant, avoiding crowds, and so forth. Um, I, I think if, if people sort of relax on those strategies, then yes, we could see a pretty big uptick pretty quickly. So I think it's imperative now that people really, um, really are conscious about those those you know, relatively simple mitigation efforts. Hey, Dave, very briefly, double masking. We heard Dr. Anthony Fauci say earlier today that the CDC might start to recommend two masks because of these variants. What do you, what do you make of it? That's not going to hurt. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people have cloth masks on, which do a reasonably well job. Um, if you have a cloth mask on, though, there are gaps between the sides, gaps between the tops that are going to let different particles in and out. Having a second mask on is going to reduce those gaps. It's going to reduce the the spread of the virus from you to someone else. If you're infected, it's going to reduce your chance of, of inhaling the virus. Um, I mean, that, that's not going to hurt. I mean, if that's what it takes to, to really tamp things down, yeah, I, I think it's a, that's a reasonable approach. I'm, I'm curious about your thoughts when it comes to the news that we learned today from our Bloomberg colleagues that President Joe Biden's administration is going to pilot a program to provide coronavirus vaccines directly to pharmacies in an attempt to ratchet up the pace of inoculations in the U.S. It's going to be a small pilot to begin with, but is this the right way to get to herd immunity? Yeah, I think it's worth trying. Yeah, I think we've seen already that distribution getting shots in the arm is a logistical challenge. Um, so I, I think it's certainly worth exploring if Walgreens, CVS, other pharmaceutical um, pharmacies like that can can help in that in that process. Is that is the, I'm, I'm wondering if we think about the administration here of of vaccines actually giving them. Where are you seeing the bottleneck? Where where is the bottleneck happening? Because we have to understand. I mean, this is what, as we've learned, and Carol Carol mentioned this. Like we never thought we'd become such a, sort of like armchair experts, right? In thinking totally. about in thinking about vaccines and actually giving vaccines. But we have the production of them, and of course, before that, the approval. Um, and we also have to make sure that there are enough supplies, right? Syringes, needles, 
people to make mm-hmm. sure that, uh, you know, you're being observed for 15 minutes, people who are trained to give the shots. Where do you see the bottleneck? Yeah, I think what I've seen, it's, it's distribution, it's getting the vaccine doses to the, the vaccination sites, the places that are actually administering them. I mean, that seems to be, you know, things I've heard, places around here that have gotten vaccines are, are using them. I mean, they're not wasting the vaccine doses themselves. They're getting them in arms. It's just waiting for more vaccines to, to get there. Um, and it, talk about the vaccines a little bit, just a, back a moment, too, getting back to the, the variants. Yeah. You know, a, a few months ago, people were saying, if we get a vaccine that's 70% effective, that's really good. We got two that are 95% effective, which is amazing. So you know, even if these variants are, even if vaccines are not quite as effective against these variants, they're still pretty good vaccines. I think we shouldn't we shouldn't lose sight of that when we're talking about these variants. Well, and it was you know there was an interesting column. Um, it was a Bloomberg opinion piece. Um, by our Andreas Kluth, and it said, stop whining about vaccines, it's only February. And the point being that, listen, folks, it's pretty remarkable that we have a vaccine, and it's what we were working for, and shame on whoever or whatever in terms of not being ready in terms of the rollout, but, you know, we've never had to do this, to be quite honest, or or it's been a long time. (laughs) Um, And so... When you hear something like that, do you agree that we need to just kind of understand what we've done so far, and it is going to just take a while to get all these vaccines into the arms of individuals, especially when you're talking about two doses? I mean, absolutely. I mean, if you look at the timeline, the first report came out in December of 2019 of this, this new virus in, in Wuhan. Um, so in you know, 11 months' time, 12 months' time, we have vaccines. We have the virus identified, sequenced. We have vaccines on market, I mean, that's really remarkable. So, yes, I think the rollout is, has been a bumpy road so far. Um, it's, you know, it can never be done fast enough, obviously. But, yes, I think we're, we're in a really good place considering where we were just a year ago. And yeah, so, go ahead. No, I bet we're going to go the same place. Yeah, go, go ahead, ahead, Carol. So, 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 Dave, what's your best guess in terms of there's enough shots in, in, in people's arms that we can actually start to kind of reopen and get back to a more normal way of life. Is it end of spring? Is it summer? How do you see it? Just quickly and got 30 seconds. Yeah, I, I think end of summer. I, mean, I think next fall, you know, we start looking at Labor Day this coming year. I think things will look a lot different than they do now. All right. Fingers crossed, man. Um, yeah, seriously. Dave, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Uh, Dr. Dave Wessner, professor of biology over at Davidson College, on the phone uh, from Davidson, North Carolina. I mean, listen, it's been an unbelievable undertaking, right, Tim? And we have come a long way. I think it just feels like, well, wait a minute. We knew we were going to have to get these into the arms of individuals. We were. And I think January was a really hard month for a lot of people. We had a tremendous loss of life in the United States, more than 95,000 people. And I think just the fact that it's winter and we've been doing this for so long, we are so ready to see the sun again. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think it's starting to feel very long for people. This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenovic. 
from Bloomberg Radio. All right, now we want to get to a story that's going to be featured in the upcoming issue of Bloomberg Businessweek magazine. We know actions have consequences. We say that a lot, Tim. It applies to a story by Bloomberg News energy reporter Robert Tuttle, who writes about it and writes specifically that President Biden's recent Keystone XL cutoff has really hurt and shocked a tiny town up in Canada. Let's get more. Robert joins us on the phone from Calgary, along with Bloomberg Businessweek editor Joel Weber on the access line in Brooklyn. And I feel like, Joel, the Keystone Pipeline man on again, off again, on again, off again. Yeah, that's right. And and this story is one of those ones that I, I do think kind of just speaks to um, uh, sort of the uh, the West. Uh, I think of it in terms of American West a lot, but certainly applies to Canada. There's been, you know, just hundreds of towns through the history of, of uh, the countries that um, that have boom and bust cycles. And this is sort of one of them. This is this is a town um, that we'll talk a little bit about that, you know, really kind of tethered its fortune to the Keystone pipeline. And then obviously when, when, uh, President Biden came out, um, and sort of changed policy there, it has repercussions, um, down that pipeline. So, so Robert, talk to us about the town that you decided to set all of this in. Yeah. So I, I, uh, one morning got up real early and drove east out of Calgary, about three hours. It's, uh, the town is Oyen. Uh, it's close to the Saskatchewan borders. Um, it's a rural, very rural. It's a farming town. There's, there's some ranches around there, um, ranches around there. But this town was kind of ground zero for the uh, Keystone XL construction work, uh, which had kicked off last year, and that had uh, that had been uh, caused the town's population to just about double. Uh, for a period there, in the, especially during the summer and the fall, as workers were coming in to build the pipeline, they set up some camps. Businesses were, were raking in a lot of money, up to four million Canadian dollars a month extra. That's what the mayor told me, um, and that uh, kind of just came to a halt when the project was canceled by Joe Biden on his first day in office. Um, so, you know, it was so um, how. You know, yeah, how how quickly uh, has the town sort of reeled from from that decision? What what was the before and and what does the after start to look like? Well, um, I mean, when I got there, it was a few days after, and uh, they, things were were still they were still kind of up in the air a little bit. Um, it didn't seem like that uh, they had yet adjusted. But people were had, but workers were leaving. Um, you know, before that, you had about a thousand extra people. This is a town of, of just under a thousand people. You had about a thousand extra people living there uh, and doing business there. Uh, workers, uh, the, you know, after that, they were. It was clear some people were starting to leave, but things were still kind of up in the air. Um, there was a lot of construction along the route, which went passed through the area. Uh, there was a lot of uh, pipe um, pipeline pipe le- uh, left in some storage yards along those areas. Uh, and when I was there, there weren't you didn't see a lot of workers um, workers in these sites. Uh, there, but there were still workers there. There were still uh, there's still some work to do in terms of just uh, cleaning up what what was left. Robert. Um, Sorry, I, sorry to jump in. I, I do wonder. Carol made the uh, made the reference to this on again, off again, you know, comment with the the Keystone XL. I, I do wonder if this cancellation is final. I mean, is this the final blow? 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, this has been around for 12 years, uh, more than 12 years. The project was canceled once before uh, by President Obama. It was brought back by um, uh, President Trump. Now, this looks a lot more final simply because the sort of, um, there's sort of a strong turn against the oil sands. So hmm. the oil sands themselves are, are not ex- expanding. The oil sands producers are not expanding it very much anymore. Um, and it doesn't look like that will happen for, for a while uh, still. Uh, at the same time, so they, there isn't as much need for this pipeline. There's also a couple other pipelines that are being built and that are going to uh, be enough for the oil sands industry, at least into this decade. So it doesn't seem like there's as much of a need for it. Um, I think the, the industry did want to get this pipeline built. There are people I've spoken to including uh, um, a former executive of, of TC Energy, who said he thinks it could still come back to life in, about, hmm. in another administration. But, but there is a turn against this at the moment. Yeah. There does seem to be a change. And, and how does that play out just in Canadian politics? Yeah, so that's been very, that was really interesting. Here in Alberta, the government itself wanted to get this project going um, and the company um, was holding back um, to see what would happen, I think, at the end of the election. That's what the premier here said for Jason Kenney. So they actually invested $1.5 billion Canadian taxpayer dollars, I mean Alberta taxpayer dollars, in the project. The, um, that was just to get a jumpstart uh, jump construction, that was, and that started last spring. Uh, at the time, the premier said that he wanted to create facts on the ground that would make it hard to, you know, can, uh, hard to for any administration to come in to cancel this this project. The, the company also signed a bunch of labor agreements with unions of the United States. Right. They agreed. They also agreed to sell a stake to some um, indigenous communities along the route, which. Uh, many of these communities or many indigenous communities have, have spearheaded opposition. Right, right. Um, so, so they did everything possible, I think, to sell this to a future Biden administration. Well, that wasn't enough. Um, and, right. Uh, and certainly. Yeah, so the tr- yeah, sorry. No, 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 no. We've got to unfortunately wrap it up, but um, we'll put it out on Twitter, Robert, because it's a it's a great story. And as you you know include in it, there's the other argument that says if we don't do it this way, we're going to have to do it on rail cars, which can be. Um, have their own economic impact and climate impact and be dangerous. So there's a lot of moving sides to this story. Um, Thank you so much, Robert Tuttle. Uh, Check it out. And uh, of course, our thanks to Joel Weber. You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenovic on Bloomberg Radio. All right. Yes, indeed. You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Carol Masser along with Tim Stenovic. And um, I keep hearing Mr. Planters or Plant, and I'm thinking, right, Mr. Peanut. Yeah. <laughs> I can think of every time I hear that story. Um, what? I'm just thinking, I'm going to get on a tangent here, but remember the Super Bowl <laughs> ad last year? Yes. Is that what you're talking about? I think so. Okay, yeah. good. It's just like, right? That's all I keep thinking about. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. <laughs> 
Um, hey, but shareholders sound pretty happy. I know, right? It's like we're seeing companies do deals and kind of, you know, lean more into certain, uh, you know, business lines and strategies. And speaking of that, we saw that certainly play out today. Uh, one of our top business stories, M&A stories, Uber, uh, doing another deal, buying up the alcohol delivery dr- uh, startup. It's Drizzly. They spent $1.1 billion. You mentioned earlier it was a stock deal. Uh, so they're taking advantage of the run-up that they've seen in share. So what does it mean? What does it mean for the bottom line, the overall strategy? Let's bring in Bloomberg News venture capital reporter Lizette Chapman. Tim, you actually caught up with her earlier on Quick Take, and she's back with us on the phone in San Francisco. Lizette, good to have you. We're still. I think we're still waiting to oh. get Lizette right now. Okay. In the meantime, yeah, I'm here. Oh, Lizette oh, is here. Her. Fantastic. I knew you were there. <laughs> I've been waiting and waiting to talk about this big boozy acquisition from Uber. Hello. So let's let's talk about it. Did you say doozy? Did you say a doozy of an acquisition? Well, I said boozy. Oh, boozy. Uh, but it's a doozy too. At one point one billion, this is not chump change. Um, it's uh, you know the first acquisition Uber's done since Postmates for two point six billion last year, and it really shores up what. Um, Uber has been driving at for the past year, which is that, hey, guys, we're going to offload all these other bets and flying cars and in self, you know, driving uh, technologies. And we're just going to focus on two things that can help us be profitable. Remember, they're not yet, which are delivery and rides. And people really like their booze. And this allows them to really increase um, all the different markets they serve um, through a bunch of partnerships and the software that deals with all those nasty uh you know, back office issues like what counties are dry counties and, you know, across the nation, which it gets kind of complicated once you dig in. Well, that that was, you know, we talked about this earlier on Quick Take, Lizette, because I asked mm-hmm. you the question, why doesn't Uber just develop it themselves? It turns out it's actually pretty difficult to, you know, make sure you're following all the rules when you're delivering booze, right? Yeah, it is. You know, it's complex. And this is a Boston-based startup. Um, you know, they've been doing this for eight years and they... Um, really focused on the, meeting the legal requirements first, um, which is, you know, different than the way Uber and some other companies have, have approached um, a new category. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out and whether the um, big surge in, in drinking continues after the pandemic. <laughs> well, that's, um, <laughs> I mean, that's the huge question. I mean, I, we've had a fair amount of pitches and we've had guests on where <laughs> are tapping into this, Lizette, this whole idea of we've been home, people have been drinking more. Um, and so we've definitely seen, you know, that happen. But I do wonder when we get on the other side, aren't we going to be maybe hopefully in a restaurant but Carol, drinking more? Yeah, <laughs> after you're drinking in a restaurant, you use the Uber app to call an Uber to get you home safely, right? <laughs> Oh, is that the connection? We're I just going to so. tie it all together? Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. I mean, that's definitely what Uber is hoping. And, you know, you look at all of these delivery companies. You look at DoorDash. You look at Instacart, both of those companies. On the precipice of IPOs, they've seen huge valuation surges in their recent funding. Um, and they've raised a ton from venture capital and other, um, you know, financiers who are betting on the fact that this, this convenience and this almost like a necessity now will become a habit, Right. This this thing of everyone being shut in. Well, now it's just convenient. It becomes a habit. And Uber has long wanted to be your everything, your operating system for your life, I think, is the way that it was described over a year ago, pre-pandemic. And they were going to link everything all together. But, you know, again, I mean, the focus is really squarely on turning uh, a a profit for this company. They are going to be reporting their earnings, um, uh, you know, a little bit later this month. 
And, um, you know, the margins on alcohol, you can't beat those. So this has been, um, you know, this has been something that a number of their competitors also took a look at. Um, we just have, we just updated our story. We got some new reporting in that, um, you know, tips to the fact that DoorDash and also GoPuff, um, you know, took a look at, at this company. Um, they wound up not, you know, reaching, reaching a deal. And interestingly enough, um, there was a, there's a piece of Drizzly, which is cannabis delivery. It's mm. a standalone piece called Lantern that they operate, and it's not coming with the deal. Uber has not commented on, on why, wouldn't, wouldn't elaborate on that. We're still trying to get some details. Mm. We'll update you when, you when we do. But um, that's where it stands. Yes on booze, no on, no on pot. I mean, if you think restrictions around delivering alcohol are, are challenging, I can't imagine yeah. what they are around you know, a nationwide delivery program for cannabis in states where it is legal. Um, I, I do wonder about investors in Drizzly. You have a, a note in your story uh, that the last valuation was $73 million for the company back in in 2017, uh, Correct. over a billion dollar purchase. Book. Wow. Yeah. yeah, that was according to PitchBook, which is a research firm. Um, and they listed that as the last valuation, which, you know, if they, you know, did not adjust it after that. And again, this has been a company that's been pretty, pretty quiet. It started with a burst of a bunch of similar companies. I think there was like, you know, there was more than a half dozen in this area. There was Minibar and Saucy and all of these other ones. And they all emerged with this idea of on-demand booze delivery, um, you know, and uh, they all reached a certain amount. And then, you know, some of them just kind of you didn't really hear from anymore. And that happens in startup land because VCs, you know, really only talk about and companies really only talk about when they're when they're expanding and when they're growing. And then they just kind of quietly die away. You know, they don't they don't really go out and say, hey, we're really not doing well right now and we're going to close shop. So, you know, this is one. This was the, the, the leading one. It was the largest one. It had out. Right raised all their competitors so it's not a huge surprise that this was the one that was left standing Lizette uber just quickly still unprofitable correct yep you got that right. <laughs> I mean, I was just looking at revenues. I mean, we're talking about what eleven billion dollar in revenues, maybe for this year, mm. or fiscal year, and it's a hundred and five billion dollar market cap company. Just got twenty seconds here. I mean, hard to get your head around that. Right. It is not profitable. It's never been profitable. Yeah. But uh, CEO Dara Khosrowshahi has pledged and then reiterated that pledge multiple times as recently as you know, uh, you right. know, a, a month ago, uh, maybe even less, saying we will hit a profit this year regardless of what happens mm. with COVID. That's a hell of a bar to cross considering their rides are, have been decimated. Yeah. But right. it's one that he has said that they're going to commit to and hopefully delivery can help them. All right. So glad we got to check in with you. Bloomberg News venture capital reporter Lizette Chapman. Check her out on Twitter. I'm driving in my car. I turn on the radio. Yeah, how about you let me drive? Oh, no, 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 no. Who's gonna drive you home? Honey, please, I'll do the driving. Drive home. Excuse me, I want to drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. This is the drive to the close. That punk music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. All right, folks, just about uh, 11 minutes left in today's trading session. Let's get to the drive to the close. John Trainer is back with us, Chief Investment Officer. He's over at People's United Wealth Management, or People's United Advisors. Forgive me. They've got $9 billion in assets under management, and he is in Bridgeport, Connecticut, on this Tuesday. John, how are you? How are you doing? 
I'm doing very, very well. Thank you for having me back. What a wacky couple of uh, weeks. What a wacky first start to the year. Um, What are your clients asking you about? What are you thinking about when it comes to the market uh, here as we started off uh, our second uh, trading month of the year? Well, you characterized it well. What a what a crazy start to the year. <laughs> it's a technical I mean, tra- and, term, wacky. That's, that's right, very technical term. And and really, you know, the the you know the uh, the big question is, you know, oh, gee, am I involved in uh, in the game stock? And we tell them no. This that's not something that uh, that we do. But you know, our big concern is that yeah, a, a, a lot of clients they look at this and they say, boy, you know, I've got my whole uh, IRA or my four hundred one k invested here. Is Wall Street a casino, and that would be the real disaster if if the average investor looked at this and just said, "To heck with this! I'm I'm getting out," and uh, you know it's it's uh, it's a mess. So we've been doing a lot of triage, basically telling people, "Look, this is a small corner of the market. You know, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with with short selling and, and doing things like that. It's just you had a a, a confluence of events here that uh, got a sector of the market crazy, but uh, overall things are still good." And you still want to stay invested. So, that's, what specifically have the they key. been have they been asking you about yeah. what happened last week? When you use the word like triage, I want to know more. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, whenever I get a call from my mother asking me if she's involved, I know, oh, things have gone too far. <laughs> so, uh, you know, triage to me is basically calming down people and just you know walking them through it, explaining you know uh, what happens uh, with uh, with the shorting of the market and, and short squeezes and things like that, and basically telling them, look, unfortunately, you know, the people that tend to get into these types of trades late are the ones that get burned. I mean, you, you know, you, you started off this segment with, you know, a lot of those stocks being down quite a bit today. So I hope people aren't, uh, you know, we aren't seeing a lot of people lose money, but, you know, it's, it's basically calming people down and telling them, focus on the long term. Were there really investors worried? I mean, none of this is really new, I feel like, you know what I mean? We've seen, you know, certain hedge funds get squeezed before. Um, I just, I'm curious, you know, were they really nervous that all of a sudden they're like, wait, this is a casino? Yeah, it came up. And then again, you know, we, we hear that the hedge fund investors are such sophisticated investors. I frankly am very surprised. I mean, you, you could read Barron's and see that uh, GameStop had a very, very big short position. This this was known uh, that a lot of the hedge funds were caught like this is really a surprise to me. So, I, yeah. you know, I, I think that's, that's it. So how the heck could something like this happen? That tends to be the tone of the question. Do we, I have to ask you though, do you think we need to change all of a sudden the system or bring in a bunch of regulatory oversight or, I mean, personally, it's like, as you said, GameStop's short position was fairly well known that in some ways, you know, it was an easy trade to go in the other direction and do that short squeeze. Yeah, you know, I was watching uh, some of the politicians on the uh, the Sunday talk shows, and naturally, I think there's a, a knee-jerk reaction. Oh, you know, we've got to crack down on those bad Wall Street people. You know, again, you know, short sellers actually serve a very useful function in the market. Uh, being able to buy call options on stocks are very useful. I think, you know, you need to put this in a box and say this was a very unique, uh, you know, a lot of people made money, a lot of people lost money, but it was a very unique situation. And let's not just 
just rush and implement some uh, regulations that uh, they really could hurt us in the long run. And some of the proposals I heard over the weekend were just nonsensical. So uh, that is a risk. We get some uh, some regulations that just don't make sense. So here we are in the midst of earnings season, sort of the tail end when it comes to big tech, Alphabet and Amazon reporting after the bell today. What are the uh, questions that you'd ask management? We'll start with uh, Amazon first. You know, well, you know, that's one one of the stocks that we have in our model portfolio. And again, you know, Amazon has done very, very well. They've been the go-to retailer. What we're looking for is to uh, try and determine how much of this extraordinary growth is sort of a, a blip. And as we get, as we sort of return to normal, uh, well, let's say we return to the new, new normal, what is a good uh, estimate for earnings on their core business? We think it's we think it's very solid. We think that they've they've picked up a lot of new business that they're going to keep. But we know we saw a blip last year. So how much of that should we be factoring in going forward? So it's it's really the sustainability of their their new customers basically when when it comes to Amazon, and, and we think it will be a very good earnings report. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think. You know, what happened in the pandemic, it was a game changer for a lot of folks saying, I've never bought groceries before. Man, this is pretty easy. I'm going to continue doing that. Exactly. <laughs> and I, exactly. And I, the stickiness of it will be something uh, that we certainly have to, to watch. Having said that, you know, that is a name. I'm just taking a look at what we saw in the last year. I mean, that had a really decent bump up, uh, what, 76%. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just looking year over year here right now. Uh, yeah, in uh, 2020. Is it a little pricey Do you, at this point? Well, I mean, it is. Yeah. And, you know, I've got a great chart in the presentations that I make to, uh, you know, to, I'm, I'm all, all over New England, all over the Northeast. I'm making presentations to different groups. And I've got a chart. You know, it's one that you, we've all seen, you know, sort of the how do the, the big five stocks do versus the other 495 stocks in the S&P 500. And, you know, we, we saw a huge gap last year. Our estimate this year is that we see a little bit of a reversal, that those 495 stocks that that's underperformed last year, that they actually do better than the five. We still think that tech stocks, will, you know, they're great companies and they'll do well, but we actually would rather see the 495 beat the, uh, beat the five this year, and that would be a healthier market. So a couple of favorites from that 400, group of 495, and we only have about 20 seconds. Well, you know, what we're, the three areas that we're most interested in are industrials, uh, financials, and consumer discretionary. Those are the three areas. That's, that's the reflation trade. You're seeing that in the market today. So, you know, in the, in the industrial area, you know, we, uh, we, we like Cummins. Uh, Cummins Engine. I mean, it's a it's a good company. It should do well, especially if we get some infrastructure spending. You know, in the in the financial area, we like the uh, you know the, not so much the money center banks, but some of the uh, the, the uh, smaller mm-hmm. banks. So we own Zion. Um, you know, we're we're going for those types of types of names. Yeah, Cummins. I was just looking at twenty seven percent higher in uh, last year's trade. Uh, listen, thank you so much, John. Really appreciate it. John Trainer, Chief Investment Officer over at People's United Advisors, uh, joining us on the phone from Bridgeport, Connecticut. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Download the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. And you can also listen to our radio show at two p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, or watch us on YouTube. Search Bloomberg Global News.